Welcome to the Your Destiny Podcast. We're going to talk about living in the heavenly kingdom. And it's something I'm just beginning to learn more of. And it gets exciting, I think. So we're going to find out about the heavenly kingdom, what it is, how do we live in it, um, what's it like involved with God in the heavenly kingdom, <laughs> and all those sort of exciting things. I just got to make sure I've got everything set up right. Um, so let's just pray first of all, and then we can get started. Lord, we just want to thank you so much that you are here with us. I thank you that you just please bring wisdom, insight to us, um, bravery to us, the the desire to be courageous and to just go forward with you and to experience new things of you. Uh, we just love the way in which you reveal the heavenly kingdom to us and just pray that revelation would come uh, this afternoon and it would just stick in us and change us. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'd like to start, though, by looking at us being new creations. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Right? It's not, is about to come. We're not will come as you get more mature. It has come. So on that day, when you gave your life to Jesus, there was an instant change occurred. Your new life in Jesus wasn't an extension of your current life. It's just brand new. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became brand new. John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. So you are spirit. You are brand new spirit. We're not works in progress. We are new. So any thought that you've had of, well, you know, I, I'm just developing and maturing and, and uh, I'm a work in progress. There's all this baggage. I'm trying to get rid of it. Forget it. Because you can't be a work in progress if you're brand new. So it's, it's how much you believe that revelation of that scripture, that you are brand new. You see, the Greek word for new that's in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is kainos, and it means a totally new kind. So on that day, when you gave your life to Jesus, you became a totally new kind. So if I was to sit you next to a non-Christian person, you would look the same, smell the same, talk the same, have the same shape, etc. But you're not the same. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you became a new creation. You were cleansed of your sin. You, you underwent spiritual gene replacement, <laughs> if I can put it like that. You know, you got totally new genes. And you joined in vital union with Jesus. You know, you became one with him. And you are no longer part of Adam's race. You were brought out of Adam's race and you became sons and daughters of your father. Totally new. And this revelation of being new is important to, to grasp what it is to be in the heavenly kingdom. Because if you try to live in the heavenly kingdom as 
one of Adam's race, it, it'll always struggle. You don't know what's going on. But as soon as you get this revelation that you are new, you then begin to approach everything of God in a new and different way, really. Um, but I have to say, it was many, many, many years ago that revelation of being a new creation came to me. But still, I struggled with, you know, if I look at myself, I can't be new, can I? And that's the trouble when you start to look in and measure yourself against others. You start to, oh, I can't be new. Whereas the reality is, Scripture says he made you new. Are we going to start to believe um, what Jesus said? In 1 Peter 2, 23, it says, Having been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So you've been born again, you now this imperishable seed. It's never, it's never going to decay, it's never going to go away. What he created in you is imperishable. So Jesus' life, Jesus is your life. Pick that up as you've been on the school and you, you know, you've been going through all of these different lessons. You've been realizing that Jesus is your life and you stand on his faith. It's not even that you stand on your own faith. You know, uh, it's the faith of Jesus that we stand on. It's his faith. So we stand in his faith. We're cloaked completely in his love. And Father God now sees you as the eternal new creation that you are. Philip, you're an eternal new creation, and Father sees you like that. He's not trying hard to see you like that. He's not pretending to see you like that. He's not having a good day and seeing you like that. That is what you are. And he sees you as that eternal new creation. He sees you as totally faultless because of everything that Jesus has done. He doesn't pretend you're faultless. He doesn't close his eyes and think, mm, maybe he's faultless. I hope he is. He just sees the faultless minute. He sees the eternal new creation that he made. And he sees you as blameless and radiant in glory. Ah, oh, imagine that seeing you radiant in glory. That's why when you really begin to believe this stuff, it has an impact on the people around you. If you remember my testimony, I was saying, you know, me and Irving got baptized in the Spirit in his little room and some ladies came and knocked on the door and without saying anything, they went, oh, what has happened here? Because we became radiant in glory. And if you get your eyes on properly, you can see that radiant glory on people. You know, you can see it. You can see into the kingdom. So we're brand new creations. And Father God sees us always as a brand new creation. He sees us as being the one that he loves, the one that he's, you know, really committed for. And as, uh, you know, um, Rebecca was saying on Sunday, uh, you know, it's all between Father and Jesus. They were the one where the transaction went on. We're the ones who just get to enjoy what, what he did for us. So here's the heavenly kingdom. Uh, this little picture at the bottom is an icon done by a Russian um, artist. And it represents Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and the way it's painted, it represents how they interact with one another. And to me, it's always a picture of the heavenly realms. Here they are, you know, operating perfectly in harmony with each other. But of course, we are part of that group of people, if you like. We're one with them, and wherever they are, we are. Wherever we are, they are. So the heavenly kingdom, Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, that we've been raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So where are you sat, Philip? In heavenly places. Wonderful. (laughs) Great news, isn't it? Now that heavenly place doesn't refer to, in a sense, heaven, the place where you go to when you die. The Greek word there refers to an invisible realm that surrounds our present daily situation. So where we're sat right now, we are sat in heavenly places. When you're going to the shop, you're going in heavenly places. When you're sat in on the beach having a proposal of marriage, you're in heavenly places. When you're at home doing your prayer time, you're in heavenly places. Wherever you are, the arena or sphere of where you are is heavenly places. And it's the arena of spiritual action and activity. That's what's going on around you all the time. You have been placed there into heavenly places by Jesus, right? Placed right there. And you're now in the center of spiritual action, activity, the presence of God, everything going on around you. That's heavenly places. So the earthly kingdom is the realm of man. But the heavenly realm, of course, is the realm of God where the supernatural takes place. So you can expect in your everyday place where you are to see the supernatural of God. Right? But these two kingdoms, the kingdom of man and the heavenly kingdom, have two different cultures. And we are immensely used to the culture of man. It's just in us. You know, we're... we're, Bombarded with it every day. We just know how to live in this kingdom, right? The heavenly kingdom, although we've been transferred into it and although we've been made brand new creations, the thing that gets in the way is our mind. And it's only the mind. Paul tells us, you know, renew your minds. And sometimes you get a bit frustrated with Paul. You know, I don't know how to renew my mind. <laughs> I don't know if only I can renew my mind. Um, but it's, it's spot on. The only thing that prevents us is our mind. Um, So these two kingdoms have two different cultures. And we're going to have to learn to live and walk in the culture of the kingdom of heaven. You know, uh, it's the place of the supernatural realm um, around you. And it's not an exception. You you know, it's not once in a while you will have a supernatural experience. It is intended that you live in the supernatural realm all the time. Now, that's, of course, what we'd experience when you look at Jesus, isn't it? 
He's, you look at him, gosh, you know, you're living in it every day here, mate. You know, even when you're having a sandwich, you're living in it. You know, or even when you want to go and have a, a drink of water to well, you're still living in this supernatural realm. And as he is in this world, so are we. So that's our place where we're asked to live. And to live there, we're going to have to have this changing culture, if you like, a, a change in the way we think, change in the way we respond to situations and become more expectant of the impossible happening around us. All right? So it's not to be an, a random or isolated experience that you can remember oh, last year, three years ago. I can remember such and such a John Arnott had an experience that was wonderful. It's to be over, you know, all the time happening around you. The heavenly realm's culture is one of honor, self-giving, love, forgiveness, uh, laying down your life to live. You know, it's just, it's all quite contrary to what the earthly kingdom is like and what is valued in the earthly kingdom. And so you're going to have to choose to take on board the heavenly culture to keep walking in it. Um, you know, uh, we can go to conferences and we can see people, say, like John Arnott or Carol Arnott or them, um, you know, Bill Johnson, moving in this heavenly realm. And you're at that conference or, you, or you've been on one of the schools and you, and you experience it and it's just, it's fantastic. But you come out of it and it's like, I don't quite know how to get it to work for me. I, they can do it, I come I can't do it. And, and the reality is, it, it's unfortunately, it's just your brain that gets in the way. It's, you know, if, you were, if you've been made a brand new creation, if you are seated in heavenly places, what more do you need? You don't need anything else. There's not, you're not missing something. So you, you come on my destiny and I'm telling you, you don't need anything else. You've got it all. And you just need people like me and others telling you, you have it all, don't, don't fret, you know. Just start to believe this stuff now, all right? Romans fourteen seventeen says, The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at that before. So it's going to look like something. It looks like the, um, you know, righteousness. We've discovered we're righteous. Uh, it looks like peace. It looks like joy. And the Holy Spirit, whatever he is, it's the kingdom. So wherever he is around, it's the kingdom. So our mindsets can hold us in this earthly culture and restrict us from moving freely in the heavenly realm. And I'll give you a couple of my own testimonies on this. This is a long, long time ago when we had a, we were um, refurbishing the church house that we used to own. And um, we had, it was two houses, you know, two semi-detached houses joined together. So we had two hallways, two staircases up to the first floor, two landings, and then two staircases up to attic rooms. So it was a big area that would have to be carpeted. Um, Ken had bought the carpet, Ken Wilkes had bought the carpet, uh, got the carpet fitter to measure, and the roller carpet was only measured as being sufficient to do the ground floor and the two flights of stairs up to the first floor. So when you come in through the front door, 
it would all look the same. You know, it gave it to me and you'd see the staircases. It was a lovely green carpet and the, and the um, hallways, all the same colour. It looked nice. And we'd have to buy extra carpet for the landings and up into the attic, which would be all right. We could just, different pattern, different colour, maybe up there, which would be okay. Um, but by this time, our money was, we were running out of money in refurbishing the house. <laughs> We'd run out of money. So the ladies in the house said, let's pray that Jesus would multiply the carpet. And of course, you'd read the scriptures, don't you, about Jesus multiplying food. But me as a, a young, I mean, I was um, full time in the church then. I just thought, this is, I'll have to just humor them because really, I've never heard of Jesus multiplying carpet. And I don't really think that he does that. I mean, it's not a spiritual thing, is it, a carpet? You know, multiplying the food for all those people that he was preaching to. I could understand that as being a spiritual thing. It was a demonstration of his uh, supremacy and of his royalty and all of that side of it and God's provision. I could understand that. But for me, multiplying our carpet was just like, no, I don't think he will. But I humoured the ladies who went along with it. And I was involved with the carpet fitter who came. And uh, we had a long driveway uh, went down the whole length of the house. And so we carried the roller carpet out. The ladies had prayed and laid hands on it that it would be multiplied. Just humour the ladies, okay? And I was there with the carpet fitter and we had to roll the carpet. And the carpet went down the whole length of the house then rolled over the pavement and rolled out into the road. It just kept on going. And the carpet fitter looked at it. Same man who measured it up before. He said, oh, gosh, it's a lot longer than the floor. This is. So he measured it up. It did everything. The floor up the first to the first floor, the landings up into the attics, and we had carpet left over. Jesus multiplied it. I was just astounded. But I, I really, at that time, it's just like we used to experience these occasional supernatural in interventions of God. And so it was one of those occasional ones. It didn't really renew my mind. One of the things that miracles are supposed to do is renew your mind. When you've experienced it or seen it, it's an opportunity for you to live in a different way. I, you'll never see lack in that way again. So... Um, a little bit later on, we had a, a blockage in the sewage system. I called the council in, and they said the blockage was on our side. You know, it wasn't on their pipe; it was on our pipe, so we would have to pay for it. And it was um, at a significant depth, about four meters down. So it's going to be a very expensive operation. So again, the lady said, "Shall we ask Jesus to send the angels down the sewer to clear the blockage?" And I, don't, I just can't get my head around the fact that Father God's interested in going down a sewer and cleaning out a blockage. You know, why don't we just get a civil engineer in and dig a hole and replace the pipe? Because it's, it's, although expensive, it's a simple operation to. Anyway, the ladies, no, 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 we'll ask Jesus, send the angels down. So again, humor them, oh, okay, just humor you. We prayed. Please, Lord, send the angels down to the sewer. following day, I had the meeting with the council. They were coming to instruct what would have to be done to um, do the work and what companies we'd have to employ, all that sort of thing. He came and he said, oh, don't understand this. The blockage is gone. You haven't got a blockage anymore. It's all cleared away. 
So whether he sent angels down, I don't know, but certainly the blockage went. But again, my mind wasn't renewed because I could see it happening, but it didn't make a change in the way that I lived. It didn't change my expectation. And the reason I'm sharing those with you is I want you to start to say, my expectation is going to change because I am a child, brand new creation, living in a heavenly realm. Therefore, my expectation of what God can and will do is just going to change now because I'm beginning to hear of these miraculous events, miraculous interventions of God, and therefore they can happen in my life as well. Um, Isabel Allen um, is a prophet from Canada, and uh, Timo, uh, Isabel and Ivan were Timo's spiritual mum and dad, really. And um, she shared quite a few testimonies that really help us start to grab hold of there's something different about living in the heavenly realm than what we're... It's not just a matter of church on a Sunday. There's something different living in this heavenly realm. Um, so she gave two stories, which I'll, I'll repeat to you, which I find very helpful. And the first one's about her phone. So um, she's somewhere in America because she goes preaching around the world. I think she's away from home more times than she's at home. So, um, so she's somewhere in America, and it's a three-hour journey to get to the airport. Right? So wherever she is, she's packing to go. And her pink phone is on top of the telly in her hotel room. So she's packing away, and she feels this little prompt from the Holy Spirit, your phone. And she goes, oh, yes, I'll remember my phone. Because, of course, now, internal flights in America, your boarding cards are all on your phone. You know, all of your information is there on your phone. You know, it's very, quite an important document for you if you're going to fly somewhere. Um, so she's carrying on packing, and she felt the prompt again from the Holy Spirit, your phone, Isabel. She says, yes, I know about it. I'll just get it in a minute. So she carries on packing, and then she gets that really strong urge from the Holy Spirit, your phone. And she says, Holy Spirit, I know about my phone. You've told me, and I will get it. You know, she was getting a bit agitated. So um, she sets off on her journey, and she gets to the airport three hours away, and she's now in the queue to the check-in desk, right? Looks in her bag. Ah, no phone. I've left it in the hotel room. So what's her options? You know, and, you know, she said, it's like I've got to ring up Ivan and tell him, it's her husband, and tell him I'm going to have to stay in a hotel, buy a new airplane ticket, because I can't drive back, get the phone, and drive back again. You know, it's, I'm going to miss my flight. Um, so, oh, and she's got this real feeling of, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to just bite the bullet. New ticket, new um, a new ticket and a new hotel room. Just tell Ivan, sorry, I've had to pay more money. When she felt prompted by the Holy Spirit again, why do you want to do that, Isabel? She said, well, you prompted me three times about this phone and I didn't listen to you, did I? And I can't really expect you to do anything now, can I? And the Holy Spirit said to her, why do you want to live like that, Isabel? 
To which she understood, of course, that she wasn't disqualified at all. Right? There wasn't anything that her action or lack of action hadn't disqualified her. So she said, Father, please could you send an angel, maybe one that's on their break, to my hotel room um, to go and get my pink phone that was in the hotel room number 500, two doors down from the, you know, I wanted to make sure it was the right phone. <laughs> I didn't want anybody else's phone. <laughs> and could they bring my phone? So she's still in the queue now, going to the checking desk. By this time, she's at the checking desk. The lady says, can I have your boarding card? She looks in her handbag. There is her pink phone, to which she shows her checking. So it just is a wonderful testimony about how you can't exclude yourself from God. right? You can't disqualify yourself. And that he is able to do more than you can ask or think. The next testimony she gave really showed my still lack of renewing my mind. It was all about a car key. Her and Ivan were driving across Canada. It was late at night, probably something like two in the morning. Uh, Snow was on the ground and um, they pulled into the service station to get some um, petrol. Ivan had said to Isabel, don't get out of the car. And I think what he meant was he was leaving the key in the ignition. Anyway, she got out of the car, and with the two doors closed, with that type of car they had, it was locked. And the key in the ignition was locked in the car. And, of course, all the phones locked in the car as well, all the numbers that people are going to visit, all the, you know, the AA number and all that. So they go into the service station. There's only the girl behind the, the counter. And, of course, now with everybody with mobile phones, there's no... Um, pay phone anywhere. So they asked the girl behind the counter, can we borrow your phone? Oh, yes, of course you could. You can borrow my phone. So she's passing the phone over, and it drops, and it smashes on the ground. So now there's no phone. So Isabel said she knew that Father could bring that phone to, uh, sorry, the, bring the key to them, because she's seen it before. Do you get what I mean? That She's been taught by this miracle before that God can bring things to them. But she thought, I, I'm not going to start thinking because if I think, the sort of thoughts I have are, I'm a silly woman. I shouldn't have got out of the car. Ivan told me not to get out of the car. Ivan's going to be mad with me. You know, what am I going to, the rest of the journey is going to be terrible. All that sort of thinking wasn't helpful. So she decided that she wasn't going to think. And she said the three of them were stood there for these few minutes just looking at each other as Ivan and Isabel were just trusting that Father would have a solution. Now, I knew what the solution was. It's simple. All you have to do is take a brick and smash the driver's window. A brick, smash the window, reach in, get the key. It's no problem. Yes, you've got a broken window, but it's all right. Put a bit of um, plastic over it, stick it down. Drive to the next, you know, the next town, get your window replaced. Claim on your insurance or something like that. So I had a solution. I knew the solution. Their solution was totally different. They expected that Father God would do something out of the ordinary. The impossible would become possible for them. Within a few minutes, Isabel said she saw something happen over Ivan. He put his hand in his pocket and there was the key 
The key that was in the ignition was now in his pocket. They were able to go to the car, get in the car and drive off. Because they lived, are living in or choosing to live in a different realm. A realm that is ours, but our mind, like my example of what I knew, how the, I knew the solution. I was going to smash the window. But that was an earthly solution, wasn't it? It was a, and they were looking for God to do something that was beyond that. I mean, Isabel has enormous, and Ivan has incredible stories. Uh, I mean, you know the story in the Bible about, um, was it Philip who was translated from one place to another? And we read that story and he, you know, he goes and preaches to the eunuch and then he's translated somewhere else and preaches. And you think, this is stunning, isn't it? Now, I had never heard of that ever, ever since, you know, just reading the Bible until I listened to Isabel. And it happens regularly to Isabel. And you think, oh gosh, it's still real. And they, you know, that's where my mind was. My mind, yes, it was a nice Bible story, but I didn't think it ever related to me. It would be nice if it did. But it was somewhere out there beyond me. And I didn't even really believe that it was happening still. Until they listened to Isabel. Isabel, a few years ago, she sat just like you are um, reading a magazine. And she says, I always like to read magazines with Jesus because you never know what will happen. And she said she then found herself in a park in China. And as she was stood in this park in China, a couple came up and she had a long conversation with this couple. They were very happy with what she was saying. And then all of a sudden she found herself back sat in the chair again. She thought, this it's quite amazing that I've been to China. And she said, I think it was, no, it was last year I was listening to Isabel, so it was a year, a bit, it was two years ago. She was in California at a conference. A Chinese couple came walking up to her, and she said, I'm looking at them thinking, I know you. And they said, Isabel, we're the couple you came to speak to in China, and you just showed us what to do, and we've done it, and it's just been brilliant. And Isabel says, you know, she's had, this being translated to places in Germany, places in Ireland, in Wales. And I think it's the best way of doing conferences, this, you know. You know, you get <laughs> these expensive conference speakers. <laughs> we just want them to do their bit and be translated to us. I mean, it would be the way to do it, wouldn't it? So Isabel's stories are quite stunning. But it's not just because it's Isabel. It's because Isabel's beginning to live in that culture of the kingdom of heaven. Everything God's got for you, his promises, his prophecies over your life, your destiny, everything you know that's happening around you at the moment hinges on the culture of the new kingdom. And it's how you live in this new kingdom, how this all works out for you. And kingdom culture is growing in our own church. Uh, you know, grace has changed the way we think. We see ourselves as being righteous now. We're not trying to become righteous. We're not feeling I've oh, got a lot of work to do yet to be righteous. You know, so it's starting to happen for us that we're righteous. Um, we're seeing honor amongst each other, love, uh, you know, just being manifest between us. And supernatural things are happening as well. They have been happening, I have to say, all through our history. But as are those instances I described, they didn't seem to have much of an impetus or change. They occurred, these one-offs, but we didn't quite know what to do with them. But more things are happening. Um, 
signs and wonders. You know, a sign can make you wonder. And we're getting quite a few signs. And you'll hear of churches where strange things are happening. And we watched that video, didn't we? Um, we were hearing um, John Arnott talking about gold teeth. I mean, that's just a real strange sign, isn't it? You know, as he said, many people have said, why on earth God giving gold teeth? And he said, I don't know why, but people are happy to get them. <laughs> um, and if you listen to any of the Bethel talks, you'll hear them talk about white feathers falling. Um, I've been there when white feathers fell and you think, what on earth is white feathers falling for? You know, and Bill Johnson will tell you, I haven't a clue. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> I, he didn't ask my permission. He just seems to do it. Um, and oil, I mean, we've had uh, people with oil appearing on them. Um, there was one lad, his like, T-shirt just became soaked in this wonderful perfume of oil. Wonderful to see. We've had gold dust appearing on people, in, in people's Bibles, and on their hands. It's just been exciting. But as a church, we seem to get something a bit different. We seem to get things like bike locks and suitcases and flights and tins of paint. So I've got my, I've got my um, props here. Because ours don't sound as nice as feathers falling, you know. We get bike chains and tins of paint. And these signs are quite, I find them quite intriguing. I never don't really know fully what they are, but they are very intriguing. So, Ken Wilkes had a bike chain like this. And it was around the, um, you know, the crossbar of his bike. But he had lost, unlike me, he had lost the key. So, whenever he used to arrive at somewhere, he would drape the chain over the support like that. So that Mr. Thief would go, oh, yes, that's locked, isn't it? <laughs> Why he ever thought that, I haven't a clue. But that's what he used to do. I don't know whether he was just too tight to buy a new key or a new lock or something. But he used to do it. So he came here to church on his bike. Again, the lock, it's over the crossbar. And he drops it over the support like that. And he comes up here. And Timo's wearing his fashion clothing. And his fashion clothing has numbers down the side of his jeans. And Ken is quite taken by this. And being a humorous type of person, he's telling Timo, why on earth is he wearing prison clothing? You know, because that's the sort of clothing you'd expect a prisoner to be wearing. And didn't he realise that, you know, in Galatians 5 verse 1 it says, for freedom Christ has made us free. And, you know, it was all a bit of a laugh. Anyway, when they went downstairs, when Ken went downstairs to his bike, the chain now was no longer on his bike, but it was on the post, and his bike was totally free. And he was a bit like, I couldn't cope with it. And he came up to get Timo and Irving to come down and make sure that what he was seeing was true, because this bike chain had been on his bike forever, And now it wasn't on his bike. And of course there was no key to unlock the lock. And it was now wrapped around the post. And it used to be down here for absolutely ages. I don't know whether it's still there now. But, you know, for freedom Christ has made us free. And we heard Rebecca talking about that whole message about freedom. And about the reality of that he has made us free. And it's only when we think 
wrongly or incorrectly, if you like, we discover that we're not really as free as we thought we were. <laughs> um, but again, that was a sign for us, a miraculous intervention of God taking place. June Richards, I don't know whether she's been on the school or you've met her at all. Um, she's with Deborah has been preaching around the world and she was off to Africa and um, she gets to the airport. They put the luggage, you know, the luggage through the check-in and it goes on the plane. At least she thought it went on the plane. She's flying now to Africa. The air hostess comes to her and says, uh, Mrs. Richards, uh, I'm sorry to tell you the police have been on to us and your bag was never put on the plane. So when you get to the other end, you're going to have to go to lost luggage and arrange for your case to be transferred again to, uh, to Africa. Well, the, the problem was she was arriving in one part of Africa, then immediately catching another plane to another part. So to be without your case was going to be a real headache. So her and Maggie were on the plane with her. Uh, they'd heard stories about God returning things. So they on the plane, they just said, Jesus we want our suitcase, please. They arrived in Africa. All the bags are collected. There's nothing there. The, the baggage hall is empty. June turns to go around to the uh, baggage claim place, you know, to report that her bag wasn't put on the plane. It's the police that said it's not been put on the plane. And when they turned back again, there in the middle of the hall was June's case. That wasn't put on the plane that the impossible became possible. So they got the bag and went off. I think it was on that same trip. Um, they were due to fly to another area in Africa, and they arrived at the airport, and the signs were on every flight cancelled. So there's no flights going. The people, the, there was five of them, and June was left with the cases in the, um, the check-in area, while the others went off to try and sort out things like hotels, transport to get somewhere else, all that sort of thing. And June sat on her case and she said, well, Jesus, you know, you've done my, brought my case from, from Manchester. Which one of these attendants, because there's people behind the desk, is the one that's going to be the one that can help us? At that point, um, at that point, uh, one of them walks over to June and says, what are you doing here? She said, well, all are cancelled and we need to go to this other country. And they said, but don't you realise that all flights are cancelled? She said, yes, but aren't you going to help me? And this guy said, wait here. So she waits and by this time the, the four come back and then the guy says, come with me. So they walk through out onto the tarmac where there's a little plane and the five of them get on this little plane and it flies to the country that they're going to. So again, the impossible became possible. Now, June has numerous of these stories of living in this heavenly kingdom. You know, what I'm trying to get over to you is that it's not just out there for the special ones. It's for you to start to choose to say, okay, God, I'm going to have my mind renewed. I'm going to start living in this and start believing that these things will start to happen for me. Um, so, here's this lovely, you can pass this round so everybody can have a little look at it, my visual aid. So, very recently, Tony, um, Tony Edgerton, you might have met him, um, 
he's a painter and decorator. And he's um, painting with his tin here in his house, uh, in particular house. He's been doing doors. And this last door is getting down to the bottom of his tin. You know, that's why I've got it to show you. It's getting down to the bottom of his tin. And he just has enough to finish off the door. And he's a professional painter, so he doesn't skimp. He makes it right. But by the time he has finished that door, the tin looks like this. You know, he scraped every last bit out of the tin to do the door. And he's felt really happy about that because he hasn't had to go and buy another tin of paint. So then he looks, turns around and he realises that he's got the other side of one of the doors still to do. And he's got an empty tin of paint. And he's, he's like pondering, what to do now? I can go buy a new tin. But just to do that door, you know, and all that sort of going through his mind. And he, he felt, he heard the Holy Spirit say, put your brush in again. And he said, I daren't look in the tin. Because I knew if I looked in the tin, I couldn't believe what was going to happen. So he kept the tin at an angle where he couldn't see it <laughs> and put the paintbrush in and painted all the door. Paint multiplied. He painted all the door. There was more than enough for him to do what he needed, more than enough. Now, it's just happened just recently. And remember I said miracles are there to teach us, really, to help us learn to walk in this kingdom. These signs that help us, you know, signposts help us to walk in the kingdom. Um, the students on one of the schools, quite a few years ago now, uh, went to a conference where um, John Arden was speaking, and John was telling a story of a church that had their offering by putting it on the wall, and the the offering stayed on the wall. So our students of high destiny thought, no, surely not. Surely God doesn't do that, does he? And they went to the back of the room to try. And they started seeing money stay on the wall. And one of them, Anna from Germany, takes a Coke can, end on. Okay, God, do that one. And it stayed on the wall. So ever since then, our students have done this. And coins are staying on the wall. A notebook. On the ceiling. Except Ben uses sticky ones. <laughs> What's it? <laughs> and then fight pine on the wall. And then you know, Jones, you know, they're in the school. <laughs> they stayed on the wall for most of the school, I think. Yeah, I think they were 
is with them. <laughs> oh, it's the end of the video. <laughs> um, now, why does God stick coins on the wall? I haven't a clue. I remember us doing it down there, and people from Life Church were coming to look and were totally bemused. Why would God do that? I don't know. But what I do know, it's like it seems to reveal to you that the, the laws of this earthly kingdom get superseded, right? Now, if you just think about Jesus, he seemed to do that, didn't he? Like water into wine, that seemed to be straightforward. Walking on water seemed to be, a, you know, seemed to break some laws there, didn't he? When he wanted um, money for tax, to pay his taxes, he just said it's in the fish's mouth and they got the money out of the fish's mouth. You know, the, it, it did things that were um, what seemed to go against the rules or the laws of this earthly kingdom. And it feels to me like these signs that God keeps bringing to us as, as a church are just challenging our mindsets over what is and isn't possible with God. You see, in one sense, we all can say, oh, yeah, everything's possible to God. But can you say all things are possible to you with God? <laughs> and that's where you are. And that's where, of course, he wants to change our, our way of thinking so that the impossible becomes possible. So that you begin to believe that it's possible for you to see the miraculous happening around you. And he's got a challenge us you know um so my learning to respond to this because i heard is it was isabel's talk and i thought gosh it just it's touching so many things i feel that i want to want to respond i want to have a go <laughs> mark nine twenty three says all things are possible to him who believes so that's the key isn't it surely then can I believe? Right? Can I believe? So learning to renew my mind and know what looks impossible is possible in the kingdom. Um, when we moved into our new house, uh, we had to have work done by builders, you know, for some work. And I went and got the money out of the bank to pay the builder. Now, as time's gone on, I keep forgetting the exact numbers, so I do apologise. So I'm just going to use circa amounts, okay? So let us me assume, then, that uh, I got £1,200 out of the bank. And I went to get the, you know, the, the, the job was going to cost £1,200. I went to the bank, and she counted out £1,200 and gave it to me. I came home, counted the money, £1,200, and we put it in a safe place, and Kath knew that where we'd put it in a safe place. Um, the, you know, the, so the work's going on. So the week before, it's due to, I'm due to pay the guy. I'm getting apprehensive about having twelve hundred pounds in the bank, so I go to the money again to count it. And I don't have enough, and I don't have enough by three hundred pounds. So I'm now down to say nine hundred pounds. So I get Kath to count it again. And she counts it. 
And it is like, no, it's like 900 pounds. Somehow or other, we've lost money. And yet, we couldn't understand how we'd lost money. And it's like one of those things, I don't know whether you ever felt you lost a lot of money, but you count it over and over again, trying to <laughs> find this money, don't you? And it kept coming to the same number. It didn't matter how many ways I cut it, it was still 300 pounds short. Oh, gosh, what are we going to do? So, put it back in the cupboard, and me and Kath, hearing Isabel's stories, sat on the bed and said, Jesus, we need our money back, please. The following day, the two of us went to the envelope again, got it out. Now, there wasn't £1,200, and there wasn't £900, but there was £1,400. So not only had we enough, but we had more than enough, right? And the only thing that the difference was that two children who believed that they were children of father said, please, could I have my money? So when we moved house, um, in our old house, we had a marble bowl. It wasn't very expensive, but just was a very nice marble bowl. Um, I think we only paid £25 for it, so it wasn't an expensive thing. So we moved house. And... You know, you unpack everything, you already boxes, you unpack all the boxes. And we can't find the marble bowl anywhere. God, it's nowhere to be found. And we search every box, every drawer, every cupboard, nothing. And this is going on for months now. It's not like, oh, I've done it today, I can't find it. And we search and search and search, still can't find it. Still can't find our bowl, still can't find our bowl, you know. We look in every cupboard everywhere. So again, Kath and myself, sat on the bed and said, Father, please could we have our bowl back? Now, it went on for weeks. We didn't see it for weeks. And then Kath had, we needed to find Kath's passport. And for some reason, it was mislaid in the house. We knew it was in the house. We couldn't find it. So I take the drawer out of the um, bed. You know, uh, a bed, um, the, the underbed drawers, if you like. So I take that out. And this is where I think Dad has a laugh. Because there, in the centre of my bed, right in, inside, where nothing ever goes, was the marble bowl. <laughs> it's like you wouldn't even put it there to move house. <laughs> you wouldn't, it couldn't fall there to move house. It couldn't, it couldn't have fallen out of a drawer to get there. It just is there, and there was our mobile. So thank you, Dad, for our mobile. I don't know why you put it in our bed, but thank you. So then um, Lizzie works at Costa and you have to have a card, you know, uh, you know you're, you're an employee of Costa, the card gets you into the till and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so she was at home at that time, she worked in Altrincham, uh, so she would walk to Altrincham and early morning as she's walking to Altrincham, uh, she realises she hasn't got her card. So she rings me up and says, Dad, uh, I'm sure, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, she put the card in her handbag the night before because she said, I remember putting it in my handbag so that I would have it for work, um, but it's not in my handbag at all. It must be in my room, Dad. Can you find it for me? So I go into her room and uh, she thought it was near her suitcase. She'd only just come back off holiday, so her suitcase was there. Um, and I know I search around her, the suitcase, I lift the suitcase up, 
I open the suitcase, nothing in the suitcase, look on the bed, nothing, look around, nothing. So I've got to go and have my breakfast, and I'll come back in again. So go and have my breakfast, come back in again. The side of her bed is a hand luggage. I thought, well, that, maybe that's the case you mean, so I'm searching around. That case, no, it's not there. In that case, no, it's not there. So I'm now getting a bit anxious, because two reasons. One, I know she'll need the card for work, because she'll be able to do the till and all of that. Um, and I was due to come and speak here on iDestiny, and time was running out. I would have to drive down to Altrincham, then drive back up here, and I didn't want to be late for iDestiny, but also knew that it takes, like, 20 minutes into Altrincham, you know, maybe 25 minutes to come back up from Altrincham to here. And I needed time, and I was running out of that time. So I'm now getting panicky. So for the third time, I come into her room, and I'm searching for this pass and I'm lifting everything up and I'm searching for it and I can't find it anywhere and I'm thinking this is nonsense this is not I can't find this pass when all of a sudden I remember Isabel's stories so I sit on my daughter's bed and I go dad I'm not speaking like this dad (laughs) if you could send an angel that was on his break please could they go and get the pass for Lizzie As soon as I prayed, I got up to start searching. And the Holy Spirit spoke clearly and said, wait. So I knew what he meant, so I sat back down. And I calmed myself down. Because the kingdom is one of peace. It's not one of anxiety dashing around. It's one of peace. So I sat down and I thought, I wonder how long I'm going to have to wait. Well, I'm just going to have to wait. So I sat, I waited. I thought, I'm just going to wait. Until he says something else. <laughs> waited and waited and waited. And then he said, now. And I looked down. And there, at my foot, where it hadn't been before, was Lizzie's pass. Oh, gosh. I came out of that room, you know, swinging this pass. Got in the car, drove down to Altrincham, gave it to her, drove up to here, was on time for our destiny. It was just, just wonderful. Wonderful. It's a little pass. It wouldn't. Yes, Lizzie just wouldn't have been on the till that day, you know. But somehow or other, God was prompting me again that this kingdom is one of the impossible. That we, if we choose to live in it, will see the impossible happening. Um, Isabel's got load of other stories which I won't. I won't tell you now but um you know journeys to airports time stopping you know um just outstanding ideas um but all their stories are, are like tinged with she is in full-time ministry doing ministry work and i'm wanting you to see that my stories are nothing like that they are just going about my ordinary business to get what i mean my daughter's costa card yeah um my marble bowl, <laughs> money to pay my builder. Because life is not just people like Timo, who is full-time for God. We all have a life that are living in a supernatural realm. And everything around us is interacting in that supernatural realm, if we can choose to believe it. So um, I like photography. Uh, I didn't get to take your mug shots at the beginning of school i usually do that i couldn't get my arm up from here so (laughs) so i was taking your photos um uh, 
uh, but I had a, a Panasonic G5. Um, that was my camera. And every so often, they bring out new cameras. Well, the G6 had come out, and it was really a very important upgrade. And I thought, I'd like that. Uh, I'd like that camera. And I'd gone on the internet and I discovered that, you know, I could sell, trade my camera in, the body of my camera in, get so much money back for it. And then um, with some money I'd had for my birthday, that together um, would buy me the body of a second-hand Panasonic G6 camera. I thought, OK, that's a good deal. I can make all that happen. And while I was doing all of that working out, the Holy Spirit said, go to Curry's. Curry's is an electrical photographic shop. Um, so I went to my local Curry's in Broadheath and they didn't have the panel, any Panasonic cameras. So I asked them, you know, can you go on your computer system and see? And the guy came back and said, look, I'm very sorry to tell you, but there is no Panasonic G6s in any of our shops or in the storeroom. I'm sorry, you can't one. I came away from that thinking, oh, I'm a bit disappointed because I thought I'd heard Holy Spirit. Um, and so I'm walking home thinking, oh, well, okay. I've still got the other deal. You know, it's, it's a good one. Um, trade in and my birthday money buys me the camera. Um, the following day, I'm in Manchester uh, with Kath. Uh, Kath's doing some shopping. I'm just wandering around while she's doing shopping. And I wander into Curry's and with no intention of looking for my camera because they've already told me that it's not there. I'm just going to while away some time wandering around that shop. When I walked in there on the stand was a Panasonic G6. Brand new one this time with a lens. And um, it was on discounted price. And I knew that um, with trading in the body of my G5, that I knew the money I'd get for that, I'd be able to have this new one. Well, the thing was, sometimes in these shops, they're just plastic uh, imitations, really. They're not the real thing. And so I was a bit concerned that this was just a, just on the shelf, really. So I said to the guy, you know, is this real? Oh, yes, sir, it's real. So I walked out of that shop with a Panasonic G6 brand new, remember I was going to get a second hand one with a lens that if you wanted to buy it you'd be paying nearly £100 for lens um, two Panasonic batteries to operate the camera, they're £50 each um, three years guarantee two years accidental damage for £10 more than I was going to it was a stunning, stunning deal. And Holy Spirit had said, go to Curry's. My son said, you're going to have to be more specific and ask which Curry's in the future. <laughs> but, you know, I walked out of that Curry's shop excited because, again, I was experiencing this heavenly kingdom where my father was cared for me, right? And where I was, again, reassured I was hearing Holy Spirit. Now, you'll all have been to Andy and Sharon's house and you've seen Andy's piano, which God provided for him. My camera is as important to me as Andy's piano. You know, 
Found it to have a grand piano and play on it. It's just stunning. It's absolutely useless to me because I can't play. But to be given the camera that I really, really wanted at a price, affordable price, and not just affordable, with all these extras added in, was like stunning. And to hear him say, just go to that shop, you'll see it. So, doesn't stop there. Um, our hall blinds, they started to you know, go at an angle. So you'd wind them up and they'd be at an angle. And we bought them in the John Lewis sale when we first moved in the house. This is like three years ago. Um, so they were in the sale then. Um, so they discontinued when we bought them. There's two blinds exactly the same. Um, you know, it's a bit like putting blinds on these windows in our hallway. Um, so I went into John Lewis and John Lewis... They said, no, you go on, you know, you only have a year's guarantee on them, and sorry, you've had them three years. And I said, yeah, but, you know, um, the life of it, it shouldn't have packed up after three years. I'm trying to play the, you know, it, it, it should have a longer life than three years, John Lewis. You know, you're a good shop and you ought to stand by it. She said, well, I'll talk to my manager, come back in two hours. So I had to go wander around Trafford Centre for two hours. I came back. And the first thing she said to me, You'll never believe this, Mr. Pierce. And I thought, oh, maybe I will. <laughs> she said, I said to my manager, she, the manager had said, no way are we doing anything for these blinds because, you know, the three years, they were, out, they were in the sale then, um, end of stock. So we don't have them anymore. We're not going to do them. And the sales assistant had said to the manager, shall I go and look in the store cupboard? And the manager said, I don't know why you want to do that. And this is like three years ago. And she went into the store cupboard and found there was one blind, the same pattern, the same size, to replace the one that had all gone wonky so that we could put it into our hallway so it all looked the same. And she said, you can have this one, Mr. Pierce, for free. And we walked out. So my stories are not to do with on ministry trips or anything like that. It's to do with just being life. But in the reality is, when you're going on your ministry tips, it's still life as well. You see what I'm saying? And I'm hoping that my talk today starts to make you go, I want this for me. I want to live in this. I want to renew my mind and experience it so that, you know, I so remember things like, you know, it's in peace. So when he says, you know, I'm rushing around trying to find a pass and he says, wait, it's because he knows that this, the kingdom is in peace. It's, it, no, it's this heavenly realm, which is one of peace. Um, when you put your trust in your father, you know, just realize that you are children when you're putting your trust in your father and you're asking for, you know, things to come back. I mean, we, when we first heard these testimonies, it was a bit like there was a certain action that you had to do. We thought you, it was this action and this determination that made it happen. And the reality is, no, it's that Father hears and responds to you. Yes, I still have things that haven't come back. I do know that. But I also know that I've enjoyed experiencing more of a supernatural kingdom reality than I have before. And we're starting to get more signs from God. You know, like this one. There's always enough for you. When you go on your mission trip, I don't, are you going on a short mission soon? Yeah? 
you only go on there. There's always enough for you when you go, you know. Or, you know, you're free. You're free to live in a supernatural kingdom where the impossible is possible. Uh, Fortunately, you know, with people, in groups of people, you find that some are closer, maybe able to grab hold of these things a bit easier. Well, run with them. When they're saying, you know, like like the ladies will send the angels down the sewer, you you know, just go with it, Philip. You just have to believe it, you know. (laughs) Don't rationalize it. Don't try to work it out. Just begin to say, okay, I'm going to trust this and believe it. Um, You see, Jesus wasn't at all phased by impossibilities. Impossibilities didn't make him go, oh gosh, what am I going to do now? I'm stuck here, aren't I? Don't know what to do, you know. So, you know, I've got to pay my taxes. I haven't got any money to pay my taxes. Father knows I need some. Oh, catch a fish and it'll be in the mouth. Right? That's amazing, that, isn't it? So that's the sort of place that we're living in, that he lived in. Um, walking on water, you know, it's always an interesting story. One of them, he walked on water a few times, but he sends the disciples off in the boat to get to the other side, and he has a time of prayer and, and interaction with his father, and then sets off walking across the water and doesn't even in, wasn't even going to go in the boat. You know, you'd think he'd walk to the boat and say, hello, chaps, I'm getting in the boat, but he was heading off to the other side. And they're all in a panic because they're seeing a ghost and they say, is it you, Jesus? You know, if it's you, tell us to come. And then it's all that story of Peter getting out of the boat. Or there's the other one where they're in the boat and they're scared and it's Jesus. And they say, it's you, Jesus. And it says in Scripture, and they were instantly on the other side. And it's feel like they were like translated to the other side. So the impossible became possible for them. Um, Water into wine. I mean, it didn't seem to be a problem, did it? You know, I'm faced with these jugs of water and I need wine. I just expect to see wine. Um, or hostile crowds that were trying to kill him. And then he walks through them and they just seem to be able to do anything. And, and even Peter and Paul experienced that as well, you know. Or, or like uh, Peter in prison and then the angel comes and lets him out of prison. It was like the expected supernatural heavenly kingdom that you are children of so scripture says as jesus is in this world so are we oh gosh jesus did it all by being a man he wasn't god doing this stuff he was a man yes we know that he was god but it says in quite clear in scripture that he laid aside his majesty and came as man And he did all of this stuff as man. He walked and lived in a heavenly realm and it was this sphere that's around him. That's what you're doing. You're living and walking in this heavenly realm. This is the realm that I'm encouraging you now. Be brave and start seeing it. Start going for it. Start expecting it. Okay, you might have a few trip-ups along the way. That don't matter. But start believing that you the new creation that brand new kind that god made is made fit to live in this heavenly realm okay and as he is so are you in this world i i think it's just stunning 
that he would let us be this sort of person. And as Rebecca's saying, this is the freedom he's given us to live like this, to live expectantly of this supernatural life. So no longer now is it the, the, the John Crowders or the John Arnott's or the whoever we want to name. It's us. Us with our testimonies of this miraculous God. Us who go, that car key doesn't need to be in there anymore. It can be in my pocket. That suitcase that wasn't put on the plane for me can be put on the plane. That plane that doesn't exist can be created for me so that I can go to wherever God's wanting me to go. The story, I mean, as you look back and you listen to people's stories, I mean, there's some stunning things. Like I remember a guy, Steve Lytle, I think his name was, um, he got pushed across Europe by angels. His car was empty and they had no money to buy anything. And the angels came and pushed his car. So all sorts of stuff can start to happen as we begin to believe that this is really, really, really is going to be happening for us. And we haven't got to be trying to do something, you know, whatever, to become more righteous or more spiritual, whatever, and just realize who we are. Start to live it. So a painter and decorator is painting a house and he hears Holy Spirit say, Dip your brush in again. And he does. And it continually replenishes until he's finished his job. Gosh, if God's going to do that for painter and decorator, to get to me, he's going to do it for you as well, isn't he? Yeah? He's going to do it for you. Let's just pray then. Dad, I thank you so much that you have placed us in heavenly places. And that we're there seated with Christ Jesus. And all of this that we've been talking about today is reality for us. We thank you so much, Dad. Amen. Thank you for listening to the I Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.